what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately, and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working a Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, and author. You can learn more about me at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com to find out ways we can work together. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. You can find more about them at WorkProud.com. With us today are the authors of Grit, Grace, and Gravitas, the three three keys to transforming leadership, presence, and impact. Jane Firth is the founding partner of Firth Leadership Partners and joined us today from Pennsylvania. Andrea Zins is president of Strategic Leadership Resources and joined us today from Nevada. Jane and Andrea, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. Thank you. So great to have you. Um, Look at this beautiful book they wrote. It's just gorgeous. For those of you that are coming in via video, it's just simply gorgeous. So we're going to talk this first segment about your backgrounds and your approach to leadership and why grace is so important for you. You've centered your your message around grace. So to do that, let's just hear a little bit from each of you about yourselves. You've both been, you dedicated yourself to developing leaders in your career. And I'm interested to find out where your fascination with leadership came from and why this is your why. Well, I'll go first. When I was a young girl, I was inspired by my mother, who worked her way up the ladder in advertising within a large U.S. company. And this was during the 1960s. So having been an entrepreneur in the past, running her own holiday card studio, she was ambitious, smart, glamorous, principled, and gracious. And in a company where leaders were all men, She rose from the lowest level in the large advertising department to become the vice president of advertising and a member of the corporate executive leadership team. Now, my mother often brought me into her office to hang out, you know, just to observe her at work. And during my college days, she gave me work in her company as an intern. Now, in that corporation, I observed many inequities, uh, a lack of empathy, appreciation and respect in that culture and I saw how employees suffered and this inspired me to switch my undergraduate work to majoring in leadership and organization development developing better cultures that help everyone to feel psychologically safe happy in their work environments now I chose to become a leadership coach and a change agent to make a positive difference in their successes beautiful Thank you. And so, Jane. Well, 
hard to answer this question, but I believe we all come into this world um, with a purpose to find and fulfill. And we have moments in our lives that give us important clues along the way as to what that is. We find ourselves drawn to certain people. We have experiences. Some are quite painful. And some show us what we're capable of. And if we're lucky, there are people who see something in us and help us see that too. And at the beginning of figuring out my career, I was a young parent. I'd been through some very challenging times. And I met someone very special and became a newlywed. Um, My husband was extremely supportive of me, and this mattered so much. He supported me through the rigors of getting my master's in organizational dynamics, where my focus was leadership and the psychology of leadership. So bringing in, you know, my interest in that. And he supported me in meeting the demands of the programs and the work I did to become a coach. And in the beginning, in a a very organic way, people began coming to me for advice and support. And I started to see that that's what people needed from me. Um, And then my work just naturally evolved into a focus on leadership. I can see and feel important differences in leaders who genuinely care about the lives of the men and women they lead. And I continue to be inspired by their extraordinary efforts and dedication. But, you know, we're all just ordinary people. And that is true of exemplary leaders as well. In truth, they are just ordinary people willing to do extraordinary things for and with the men and women they lead. And that, to me, is pure inspiration. Mm. I think so, too. Uh, and I've, I've had the chance to know several really phenomenal leaders who've, who've been on the show um, just even just this year. Bob Chapman is certainly a great example of that. And you both know him. So let's add him to the mix right now. Perfect. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the actual components of your book. I think that the, the, the title and the content of your book is very clever. It's a class act book, ladies. You just knocked it out of the park. And I think it would be useful for our, our listeners and viewers to for you to share what's the definition of those three key terms that you talk about, um, gr- grit, grace, and gravitas. What do they mean for you? Sure. Um, well, we found that uh, through our experiences that while every leader is unique, exemplary leaders stand out on the basis of three critical factors. So the first one you mentioned is grit. And that's an uncompromising commitment to performance excellence and strategic focus. Let me give you an example. Um, Grit is um, critical for overcoming obstacles, for having difficult conversations, for persistence needed in getting to a fresh finish line. Um, The second is gravitas. Gravitas is having a depth of professional knowledge and competence that contributes to excellence in performance. Uh, An example, uh, a critical aspect of a leader's gravitas is due to the time and energy they've invested to acquire the knowledge and skills they have to date, Uh, the risks that they've taken, uh, the commitment and discipline to excel and ask a lot of themselves. 
So what we've noticed is that exemplary leaders have a different kind of impact for those they lead. Even when difficult challenges arise, the net effect of their impact is positive, and it leads us to grace. So grace is relating to others constructively in considerate, empathetic, and genuinely caring ways. We've seen that with grit and gravitas infused with grace, exemplary leaders have developed a positive presence that successfully integrates their grit and gravitas with grace. Mm. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And and by the way, ladies, um, as you both know, I read the books cover to cover of the guests who come on my show. So there's several instances where I'm going to actually quote what you said because it's so beautiful and I want to preserve the language. So the next thing that I want to get to, and, and this is really important for our listeners, uh, leadership is not for the faint of heart. This is hard, hard work. And receiving feedback about our leadership and our performance can be absolutely brutal, right, As we as we all three know. And how we respond to that gift of feedback makes all the difference. And so you write in your book, I quote, when leaders get feedback that their executive presence or actions are ineffective, they have the opportunity to look at themselves. Here is where leaders take the distinctions of our theory, model, and framework and put them to work. Here is where leaders take it upon themselves to evolve from the inside out, where grace becomes their game changer, where their approaches, behaviors, connection with men and women they lead, and their demeanor begin to reflect the evolution they want for themselves. Say more about that. That's just beautiful. Well, here's the secret to the considerable value of grace. It changes your impact for the better and increases the value, increases the value of good and gravitas. The skills and qualities of grace are rooted in using power constructively. And constructive power is always within our reach. And when we reach for it, our impact then changes for the better. And it enhances our approaches, our behaviors, the quality of how we connect with people, and our demeanor. That's our demeanor is more our attitude and way of being in the world. And grace helps us deal with difficult people in difficult situations with compassion and energy and inspiration. So let's look at one small example of grace helping us deal with a difficult situation. Think of a recent time your emotions were triggered at work. For instance, maybe someone criticized you in front of everyone in a meeting and you felt really embarrassed. Or perhaps you felt upset because you were passed over for something you'd worked hard for and felt that you deserved. Maybe you felt frustrated in trying to explain something that was important that you were trying to get across to someone. Rather than struggle in the moment and find fault with yourself or blame someone else, grace can give you, let's call it compassionate permission to take some time to gather your thoughts, help you understand the emotions you're feeling, and regain your composure. And when you do, you find the clarity you need to more effectively deal with what happened. Mm. 
Yes, very, very well said, Jane. That was that was so clear and concise um, and compelling. And now taking it a little bit further here, one of the other things that you distinguish in your book's message you, is you say the constructive power of grace is the game changer for elevating the impact of one's presence as a leader. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. Well, um, grace is a game changer because it changes the impact of a leader's presence. Um, so let's let's look at how. Grace, we see that grace rests on two pillars, reaction management and relationship intelligence. Um, These both enable a leader to inspire and empower the men and women they lead to face and get through difficult times. Now, exemplary leaders work to bring people together in meaningful ways to accomplish the goals that matter. And they are able to do this because they use their constructive power Their approaches are constructive. Their behaviors are constructive. The quality of how they connect with people is constructive. And their overall way of being, it's their demeanor, that comes across as constructive. So we call the A, B, C, and D of executive presence and impact. Um, So let me give you a quick example about grit without grace and how this works. Um, grit without grace can be abrasive. One's imbalance of too much grit can come across as domineering. You know, for instance, when a leader's brusque impatience or intolerance is people walking on eggshells, or when the imbalance of too little grit can have a leader avoid holding people to account or avoid having important conversations. Now, with gravitas without grace, This can show up as arrogance. Um, The imbalance of too much gravitas then comes across as a bit condescending. Mm -hmm. The imbalance of too little gravitas, well, that can have a leader come across as hesitant and indecisive, um, which can leave people without guidance or clarity in direction. So grace changes how a leader leads how a leader establishes the culture and the norms of the culture and determines the social contract of how people relate to one another. And this directly influences how challenges are faced and dealt with, how obstacles are overcome, how people think and work together to innovate and solve problems and align themselves to achieve what matters. Of course, no one of us is perfect. And every single one of us has its our foibles and flaws. <laughs> How can we address them constructively to go forward in better ways? Well, when we are aspiring to develop ourselves, when we're doing that, we start to look at the gaps between where we are and where we want to evolve. Where do we want to evolve to? It's important not to take a judgmental view of our flaws which closes down rather than opens us up to our development, we can't change what we haven't owned and taken some responsibility for. But by approaching our flaws constructively, we can use them to grow. Now, exemplary leaders are aware of their foibles and flaws, and they take responsibility for them. You won't find them saying, this is how I am, deal with it, or using the strategy of doing whatever they want and then apologizing later. You'll find them having the difficult conversations to restore alignment and 
you'll find them working towards equitable win-win outcomes. Now with the skills and qualities of grace, a leader can manage the all important impact of their grit and their gravitas so that if they find there is an imbalance such as in their A, B, C's or E's, they use the constructive power to address the imbalance and resolve any previous problems. Mm. You gave us a tremendous lesson in that response. Thank you, Andrea. Mm -hmm. And it's time already for our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Jane Firth and Andrea Zintz, authors of Grit, Grace, and Gravitas, The Three Keys to Transforming Leadership, Presence, and Impact. We've been talking about their initial, their approach to leadership, what got them into it, and a bit about the book itself and how how it's put together. After the break, we're going to talk about the first pillar of grace, which is reaction management. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. As the pandemic has continued on, we look for ways for, to help companies support their employees handle their anxiety, their stress, depression, feeling disconnected, while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing professional development. So we're now offering a new well-being webinar series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Well-Being from the Inside Out. If you want to learn more about it, go to my website at EliseCortez.com or shoot me an email to Elise at EliseCortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guests are Jane Firth and Andrea Zins. They are the authors of Grit, Grace, and Gravitas, The Three Keys to Transforming Leadership, Presence, and Impact. They join us today from Pennsylvania and Nevada. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next segment, I wanted to dig more deeply into that first pillar of grace, reaction management. I thought that the way that you organized the book was so useful, and I really wanted to dive deeper into this part of it. So here we go. So for this first thing that I wanted to serve up here, I, I thought that you the way that you distinguish presence is a, a way that I've really seldom seen in any leadership books or, or, or an approach to leadership and the way it's discussed. And you actually share work that Dagley did in 2013 on executive presence. And you say, actually, you see in your book, and I quote again, effective leadership causes people to act while effective executive presence causes people to listen. I thought that was such a powerful distinguishing point. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Um, you know, on the door to Oprah Winfrey's office, there's a sign that reads, be responsible for the energy you bring into this room. Why is that important? Because your presence carries energy, which in its simplest form is positive or negative, has an impact. It impacts whoever is in the room. For instance, Is your impact warm and welcoming? Does it open things up? Does it shut things down? 
I'll give you a really good example. Um, one of our clients, Mary, we'll call her Mary, was an executive in a large financial services firm who led her, the people in her division through an extremely difficult period. After the project ended, her boss called her into his office and said, Mary, people are really complaining about your leadership. And Mary is sitting there, and she has this incredulous look on her face. And she says to him, what do you want? Results or happy people? And her boss responded, Mary, the best leaders achieve both. Mary had the grit and the gravitas to get through this difficult period. But lacking the skills and qualities of grace, her team wound up feeling disempowered, disheartened, and very depleted. An exemplary leader would have had a more constructive and positive impact on their team, a knowledge and focus on the importance of his or her team's resilience, melding the persistence that comes with grit and the know-how that comes from gravitas with the inspiration and energy that comes from grace. With grace, a leader will have the knowledge of how to inspire, how to energize, how to empower the men and women they lead in meaningful ways to navigate and find their way through difficult times. Important to remember, every single one of us has a presence and our presence has an impact. And there's no mystery here. You don't have to be an extrovert, It's not about something we're born with. The skills and qualities needed to transform leadership and your presence are readily available to you. One of the things I was thinking about as you were sharing your message there, Jane, is uh, more and more what I'm seeing is um, CEOs, chief executive officers, are now calling them chief energy, themselves chief energy officers, which mm-hmm. I think is sp- splendid and perfect. So to your point, yes, it's, it's fantastic. Um, so in your book, you, you describe two pillars of grace. One is a reaction management. The other one is relation, relationship intelligence. Let's go to reaction management first, because that's the, se- the segment here we're talking about. So you describe that is how you handle reactions and emotions determines the impact of your presence and the emotional culture of your organization mm-hmm. on a daily basis, your reactions and emotions will influence the quality of performance, the strength of engagement, and the morale of the men and women you lead. Um, So leadership goes hand in hand with challenges. The ability to deal effectively with our challenges includes motivating and inspiring people that we lead to overcome these challenges. So as a leader, how your presence Influences successful performance and results depends on all of this and more. Research has shown, Jane and I, that emotional intelligence is more important than IQ for success. Rather than avoiding our emotions, owning, naming, and understanding our emotions is critical for decision-making and relationship intelligence skills, such as empathy, compassion, generosity, and this leads to career success, personal satisfaction, and exemplary leadership. Every emotion has a message in it. It helps us understand our triggers and our reactions. Learning to use the intelligence in our emotions 
helps to develop our self-awareness and addresses our capacity to raise the quality of our performance in relationships with those that we're leading. You know, speaking of emotions, one of the things that is so great about getting to host the show is that, as you know, I read, I do read the books cover to cover. I also take copious notes, uh, typewritten as I go, so I can preserve exactly what is written. And I and I had my daughter come in and listen to this part where you distinguish emotions from feelings. I think this is just fantastic. And I don't really think I've, I've ever seen anybody make this kind of a distinction before, at least the way that you did it so crisply. So I'm going to share again what you wrote. You say, and I quote, feelings are different from emotions. Emotions originate in one subconscious. Emotions play out in the theater of the body while feelings play out in the theater of the mind. Feelings originate in the neo- neocortical regions of the brain, our mental associations and reactions to emotions, and our subjective in being influenced by personal experience, beliefs, and memories. A feeling is a mental portrayal of what is going on in your body when you have an emotion and is a byproduct of your brain perceiving and assigning meaning to the emotion. Yeah. Emotions are felt in the body and they become wrapped in our thoughts and triggers a reaction, changing our emotional state to one where we have the amygdala in our brain. We haven't distinguished that yet, but this is a part of our brain where the instinct to fight or flight kicks in. Um, the amygdala um, is our the oldest part of our brain, and it gives us emotional cues signaling danger. So when triggered, it doesn't feel very good, and our brains are searching for a way to relieve the discomfort, irritation, embarrassment, or anxiety, or apprehension, or general unease we feel when our reactions are triggered. Reaction management helps to bring us closer to a calmer state. It helps us regain our presence of mind so we can think more clearly about what to do to help ourselves. Many of you probably know about Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist, and he was also a Holocaust survivor. And one of the significant contributions um, of his work were the ideas and practices of what he called logotherapy. His most famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, outlines how his theories helped him survive his Holocaust experience and how that further developed and reinforced his ideas. And he created this simple equation between stimulus and response, there is his space, And in that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In that response lies our growth and our happiness. And here's the brain science we all need to know. When the amygdala is triggered, our higher order thinking, which is located in the prefrontal cortex, shuts down. Part of managing our reactions is recognizing that in the space Victor Frankl describes, sometimes we need a little time and a little self-discipline to process what triggered our reaction. By managing our reactions, we're able to recognize that the amygdala has taken over. We see the fight or flight reaction inside of ourselves. And in that moment, Between stimulus and response, we can elevate our presence of mind to choose our response. 
doing think of doing so as like moving from one room in our brain to another. We leave the room where the amygdala beckons us to fight or run away. And we regain the benefits of higher level thinking that by virtue of managing our reactions is available to us. Here's where we can call on our constructive power and deal with our reactions from there. Listeners and viewers, if if you need to go back and replay that over and over again, what she just shared with us, that is so powerful. And if you can get access to what she's talking about and start getting acumen in that area, it is t- totally a game changer. So beautifully narrated, Jane, just gorgeous. I want to go a little bit deeper here, too, because one of the things I like about hosting this show is I like very much to talk about conceptual ideas that inspire as we're doing, but I also like to be able to give some how-tos that kind of, that they, people can apply. So this idea of getting better at, the, at reaction management, as you were saying, Jane, is really important. And you say that people lack the skills to handle the more difficult human emotions constructively. They spend a lot of time in the reactive zone. That's that amygdala zone we were talking about. Um, and then you you offer a set of steps to take when we are triggered by something to restore our constructive power. Can we hear a little bit about those steps? Sure. So uh, in our research, neuroscience points us to where our reactions come from. As we've been saying here that the goal is to have the skills to manage our reactions in ways that provide us with the ability to more quickly restore our perspective, our presence of mind, and access to our higher order thinking. Reaction management skills change and elevate a leader's perspective towards others' emotional reactions. So let's consider how a reaction management how reaction management can uh, transform the impact of a leader's presence. So I'm going to use an example. We'll look at one of our clients, a leader that we're calling Kyle. Now, Kyle is a sales executive relatively new to his role. And early on, a a situation took place in his new role that gave him the opportunity to put the reaction management skills he's been learning into some practice. So here's what happened. In in preparation for a quarterly executive meeting, Kyle's new team prepared the market information and sales projections he needed for the meeting. And the team, wanting to make the results seem better than they were and not wanting to admit that they were struggling with certain sales and profits results, provided Kyle with projections that were way too optimistic about the remainder of the year and even the year to follow. Now, it didn't occur to Kyle to double-check the report he received, and he made the mistake of taking the work at face value. Now, as a result, in the executive meeting, Kyle found himself in an uncomfortable, compromised position. From the point of view of the CEO and his peers, he looked as though he wasn't on top of his market trends and lacked control over his team. So this was embarrassing. And he froze like a deer in the headlights. He didn't become defensive, but he kept his composure outwardly. But inwardly, his mind was racing. He shrank back, waiting for the meeting to end. He wanted to get back to his office as quickly as possible and process what had happened in private. How did Kyle manage his reactions and go forward? Well, his first step was to recognize the tension he was feeling. He noticed that his hands were shaking and he took some slow breaths to calm himself. Secondly, 
Kyle looked more deeply at the emotions he was feeling and the messages that they contained. And he realized that he felt exposed and embarrassed. And he felt his hands, because he was taking that time, he stopped shaking, his hands stopped shaking, and he felt his composure returning. The next thing, he asked his administrator to hold his call for 30 minutes. He closed his door, took out his paper and pen, and writing the word embarrassed at the top of the page, he listed his concerns and thoughts. Next, he wrote down the word anxiety, which was the name of that emotion, and listed the thoughts and concerns that came to his mind about his team. He saw his responsibility for having taken the information his team had given at face value. Well, Kyle thought about what would be an outcome worth having? And he wrote down some notes for himself. And he envisioned outcomes like strengthening his relationship with his team and steps he could take to restore his reputation with his peers and his boss. Now, here are a few of the actions he did take. Kyle then met with his boss, took responsibility, and asked for advice about the approaches he could take with his team and his peers. Secondly, he pulled his staff together to discuss the experience he had at the executive meeting. He let them know that straight talk and honesty was critical in how he wanted them to work together going forward. And he said to them, the facts are the facts, and we can work with them and strategize together, whatever they are. Thirdly, Kyle and his staff established their rules of engagement. The team worked through a plan that Kyle approved, and they clearly understood what would be expected of them. So while it may seem that it would take a lot of time to go through these steps, think about the time and energy it would take to deal with the residual damage if this kind of situation is allowed to go unchecked. Without reaction management, situations like this can derail teamwork and productivity too. So morale and performance can suffer when you're not using reaction management skills. So reaction management helps us understand how to keep morale high, how to help people find their footing with unexpected situations and challenges, and how to help team members who are facing demands that are increasing the pressure they're under. Thank you, Andrea. So listeners and viewers, again, I can I can almost guarantee that the the story that Andrea just shared there, you can resonate you can resonate with that on some level, being embarrassed in a meeting like that. So going back again to replay what she shared about how to handle that and the steps that she took, those are those are those are golden. <laughs> and on that note, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Jane Firth and, and Andrea Zins, the authors of Grit, Grace, and Gravitas, The Three Keys to Transforming Leadership, Presence, and Impact. We've been talking about relation or reaction management. After the break, we're going to get into relationship intelligence, the second peer of grace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose.
This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I wanted to let you know that while we've been in the pandemic, I had a baby. Yes, it's a book. It looks like this. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sorry, I just can't resist saying that. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon. I really wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and their purpose and, and turn them into inspirational leaders that really elevate the contribution of people in the workplace as well as the way business is done. So I hope you'll give it a read and tell me what you think about it. If you're just joining us, my guests today are Jane Firth and Andrea Zintz. They are the authors of Grit, Grace, and Gravitas, The Three Keys to Transforming Leadership, Presence, and Impact. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, we're going to talk about relationship intelligence. We've got about 12 minutes or so that we can get to work on this. And one of the things that you do so well in your book and also in this sharing here is the stories. The stories really help explain why how these work. And so you emphasize throughout the book that they, there's an, there's importance in using grace when, when grit and gravitas fall out of balance. Uh, so can you give us an example of, of, of this and how finding this balance can make a positive difference for us in leadership? So as Andrea and I were doing our research, we met with a leader we'll call Raina. As we talked, she identified strengths that she saw in herself. And in a very judgmental way, she contrasted what she saw as her own strengths with the weaknesses she found in in others. And her criticism centered around other women in her organization, especially the way they came to meetings with upper management. She judged them for sounding as if they lacked confidence or didn't know what they were talking about. And they lacked gravitas is what she said. Because Reyna was lacking in the skills and qualities of grace, she was missing the inclination to offer her guidance to help them develop. Think about how much more valuable she could have been to her organization and to the very people she was criticizing that she had some of the skills and qualities of grace. Here's how she was described in interviews with her team. Quote, she pontificates. She comes across as pompous, officious, and condescending. End quote. So these concerns that were expressed show the negative impact of her presence. Would she have been surprised to learn that others would have given anything to avoid having to deal with her? Yeah, she had gravitas, and she also had grit, both way out of balance. She had a wealth of experience, and she could have tough conversations. She was thorough. She was tenacious. But she acted in an arrogant and condescending manner that had a very negative impact on the people she led and worked with. I mean, just think about what could she have accomplished had the grit and gravitas she possessed been infused with the constructive power of grace. And when a leader supports and empowers those they lead, a very different order of results becomes possible. And exemplary leaders know how to encourage and bring out the best in those they lead. 
and they know how to create a space that is safe for people to excel. Mm. Again, the stories really help because I think when you talk about the different characters that you're, you're, you're describing, many listeners can say, oh, yes, I know someone like that, or maybe that sounds like me. So I appreciate very much how you've constructed the stories to share. It just helps so much. So your second pillar of grace you discuss is, is relationship intelligence. We talked about reaction management in the, in the last segment, and you say for this, you say relationship intelligence provides a leader with, with knowledge of emotions, how and why they affect people in their performance, and the skills involved in elevating emotional operating states from negative to neutral to positive. And you say with its roots in brain science and emotional intelligence, relationship intelligence provides critical knowledge for bringing out the best in people and empowering them when it matters most. Mm. Another example to illustrate this one? Yes. So let's take a look at an example of a client we're going to call Craig, who was an associate commissioner in a government role. Now, he successfully evolved his leadership through increasing his relationship intelligence. And this is how. Uh, with the help of a leadership, with a leadership assessment, like a 360, Craig identified some of his foibles and flaws. For example, he lacked skills for listening and creating the conditions for dialogue and uh, collaboration among his team. And this was really getting in his way. Among his aspirations was a sincere desire to become a better leader with his teams. So relationship intelligence begins with the relationship you have with yourself. This involves increasing self-awareness. The way you relate to yourself directly connects to the way you relate to others. Something of great value takes place when you maximize your ability to relate to yourself and others as well through your constructive power. So everyone Craig worked with thought he was brilliant and valued his knowledge and experience. The problem was that he used his brilliance in ways that had closed everyone else out. Mm. He wanted to be the leader with the best ideas and solutions, and he thought that this would add value and be of service to others. Now, as Craig became more self-aware, he realized that he gained a great deal of satisfaction by giving others his advice. Mm. But he also saw an imbalance in his gravitas. Thinking one's opinion is the only one that matters. Going on and on, seeming pedantic, speaking only on sound, and not listening to receive. He became more aware of how he defaulted to using up the air in the room by doing all the talking, citing evidence to defend his points, and insisting that his advice would be the best way to solve problems. Now, in considering the feedback, he realized that he lacked the awareness and skills required for asking questions listening for understanding, creating the conditions for dialogue and collaboration. He embraced the skills that he could build that would result in a more engaging relationship with the stakeholders, improve the ideas, and increase his constructive power. So Craig worked on a development plan to address the imbalances in his gravitas and develop his impact with others. He focused his plan to ask engaging questions of his team and peers, listen carefully to what others thought and proposed, and carefully considered their challenges and ideas. Now, he let his team know that he was working on these skills so they know what to look for. The reactions of his teams were astounding. They began to experience Craig's changes immediately, and they actually enjoyed 
the engaging collaboration that they were having in their meetings. And this, his leadership became much more exemplary. So if we go back to our original definition of exemplary, Craig became a model of inspiration as his team and peers watched him evolve right before their eyes. As Craig learned from his journey, relationship intelligence skills include essential social skills that help leaders evolve their presence and impact. Constructive power includes providing psychological safety with others, listening with appreciation and respect for them, generosity, and elevating others' emotional states, such as keeping morale high in difficult times. So as I listened to that, one of the things I got present to, Andrea, was just the, the huge potential we have as human beings to learn, grow, and change. And I always stand on the place of insp- inspiration for that very moment. It is possible to learn and change radically ourselves. And so listeners and viewers, as you're hearing this, this is this is your your uh, opportunity to join in, us on the dance floor with this. This is really compelling yeah. of what we can do as a human being to learn and grow. So that was that was a beautiful rendition. So we have maybe time for just one more question here. And I, what I want to get to, because I think it's, again, something that you distinguish beautifully in your book that I haven't really seen in, in too many others, and that gets to the internal bearings piece. And so you write, and again, I quote, defining your internal bearings begins with a deeply personal exploration. Your highest leadership aspirations are the result of reflection that helps you define your higher purpose as a leader, contributions that hold meaning for you in answering the question, what kind of leader is it important for me to be and why? Your highest aspirations reflect what matters most to you in your life. They are essential elements in your internal bearings. Never heard the, the phrase internal bearings, but this kind of self-knowledge and critical or clarification is tremendously important. So can you say a little bit more about that for us? Um, Andrew and I will both talk about this. So we talk a lot in the book about the importance of being able to elevate emotional operating states. Identifying your highest leadership aspirations elevates your internal state, and it elevates your energy, and it elevates your emotions. So as a leader, what words help you capture the essence of your higher purpose? What kind of impact do you want to have? What values matter to you? When you keep your purpose and your highest aspirations present, They provide you with an important way of guiding yourself from within. Similar to a map or a compass, Mm -hmm. they give you your internal bearings as a person and as a leader. Reading and absorbing them each day connects you with the energy and inspiration of what you've been able to put into words for yourself. And this is the whole of the matter. More than just words on a page that you'll place in a desk drawer somewhere and forget about. When you keep your highest aspirations alive and present for yourself, you elevate the energy and essence of your leadership and your presence and your impact. Andrea, do you want to say a little more about this now? Sure. Um, I'll give you another example. You know, one of the aspirations an executive identified for himself. Um, He said, he wrote, psychological safety is important, and I want to lead in a way that people are able to embrace their accountabilities without the fear of getting into trouble. So this aspiration held great meaning, energy, and inspiration for this executive. 
And if you do this, yours would hold great meaning, energy, and inspiration for you. So we included this exercise in our book so that leaders would have tried, have a tried and true way to connect with what matters to them most. This process and the answers revealed serves as a leader's inner compass and a strategic way to guide a leader's journey. Mm, so that just is so beautiful to me as an identity researcher because it really speaks to being getting really clear about who you are and who you aspire to be. So beautiful, beautiful way to, to finish this conversation. So to close, uh, you both know that this show is listened to people by across the globe and they really come because they're trying to help create workplaces where people actually want to come and they thrive and they want to become inspirational leaders themselves and they want to do business in a way that is more of a stakeholder capitalistic manner. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, just briefly, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, Andrea and I have seen time and again that what distinguishes great leaders is their capacity for grace. Their grit and their gravitas infused with the skills and qualities of grace uplift and inspire people. And we need to lift people up. It's taken courage to look at ourselves honestly, and it's important to use a non-judgmental lens in doing so. So, as we've said, we can grow from our foibles and flaws. Ariana Huffington wrote in her book, The Fourth Instinct, that Francois Gillot once told her there were doors in time. And Ariana noted that we are facing such a door in time, an opening for great possibilities of a new being for a breakthrough in our evolution. For the first time, Something as vast and epic as the destiny of mankind depends on something as personal and intimate as the way each one of us chooses to live, think, and behave. I'd love to repeat that a hundred times. It's beautiful. Great way to finish, Jane. And we are out of time. So let me thank you both for being on the show. You gave us a beautiful glimpse into your book and your souls. Thank you for that. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Jane Firth, Andrea Zenz, their book, and the work they do, you can start by going to the, the, the website called gritgracegravitas.com. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for the work from people from across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with B. Bocolandro talking about her book, Do Good at Work, How Simple Acts of Social Purpose Drive Success and Well-Being. Next week, we'll be on the air with Matt Gerber talking about his trek from Oregon to 75 countries where he learned corporate social responsibility by visiting orphanages everywhere he goes across the world. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.